Marriage. It's the most important relationship we have in this life. If there's difficulty in our marriage, it's important to learn how to tighten the knot. In this series of messages, Pastor Chris Chavik teaches us from the Bible how to tighten the knot of our marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible this morning. Ephesians 5. If you were to ask the average person in a distant state the question, what's the first thought you have? Ask them this question. What's the first thought you have when it comes to uh, California? Just in your mind, what is the first thought? California, I'm just going to say California, kind of that word association game. What is the very first thing that comes to your mind when I say California? You'd probably hear a variety of ideas or thoughts. Uh, probably no doubt you'd hear some people, if they're thinking Southern California, for sure, they would say, oh, it's always sunny in Southern California. I mean, many songs have been sung about how sunny it is in Southern California and by and large, it always is. Matter of fact, I like the rain, but after about two or three hours of it, I think it can go some other place, and I know we need it, so I pray that it rains while I'm sleeping. But other than that, we understand that it's always sunny in California. Some people would say, oh, Hollywood. Oh, Southern California. Let me tell you what I know about Southern California. Hollywood. There's always Hollywood is there. And then some people would probably mention, and rightly so, uh, they would talk about the beaches. They would say, oh, the beaches in Southern California, they are great, and we love it, especially if they're from the East Coast, because everything in California is better than everything on the East Coast. We will wait till everyone says amen here. No, we love the beaches, and everything is it's just great. Now, unless I love California, love the water here, unless you go to Hawaii, where you don't ever need a wetsuit, uh, the beaches here are absolutely stellar. And our beaches are better, but their water is warmer. If we could combine the two, it would be fantastic. But uh, the people would say beaches. Some people might give an answer or two that's different than that. Uh, but I think probably the maybe the thing that, as a general rule, that we're probably most known for, the most common response people would have is they would say the traffic. They would say, oh, the traffic in California is terrible. How many of you would agree with that? The traffic is terrible. I would agree, but I'll tell you, worst place for traffic I've ever been in my entire life is Dallas, Texas. No place worse than Dallas, Texas. And if you say, I'm from Texas, nothing bad is from there. I'm from there, and I speak truth about there, and we'll pray for your delusion. But in all seriousness, the traffic, people would say the traffic there is so bad. And I would agree in many ways, the traffic here is bad. But I would tell you that if you're going to travel during a traffic time, you kind of know what's expected. It's going to be traffic. But the thing that frustrates me more than anything about traffic is when you're sitting in traffic. If you're from here, you know this. Like you're sitting in traffic and you're sitting in traffic for miles. And how many of you uh, used to, you just had to sit there and if you're running, driving through LA, you would tune into KNX 1070 news radio that would give you a traffic update every six minutes. In college, I lived in that area and you're always listening to that radio station because you didn't have a cell phone that would tell you how long this backup would be. But now you grab your phone and you're like, oh, I'm going to be in this for 20 extra minutes or 15 extra minutes or whatever the case. And you go through this traffic 
gnarly situation and you get up to it. And here's what irritates me more than anything. I, I understand accidents happen. I get that. I even understand that some people get scared when they have to take a slight turn on the freeway. Don't really understand it. You're on the freeway, a slight curb. Your car can probably go really fast, but you see people through the S curves in downtown San Diego. It always slows down through there. I don't know. Why do you have to slow down through there? Uh, if y'all aren't going to get on board, I got two problems. Don't slow down for the S-curves, and don't drive slow in the fast lane. It's called the fast lane for a dadgum reason, and you need to stay out of it. 60 miles an hour in the fast lane. And then I do the friendly thing. I flash people. Debbie's like, somebody's going to get mad at you. I said, well, they're mad at me behind me. I'm just passing it along. She's like, you need to be an instrument of grace. I said, no, I need to be an instrument of truth. And so I flash really fast. Seldom do they ever get over, but it makes me feel vindicated, I guess. But you work your way through traffic, and you get up, and this is what you find. Tell me this doesn't irritate you. Well, don't tell me that, because I'll think you're weird. But here's what it is. You, you get up to there and you realize that everybody is avoiding a ladder that has fallen off of a truck. Am I the only one that gets so irritated by that? Here's what irritates me about that. It was avoidable. It was completely avoidable. Nobody had to endure that. The reason that the ladder fell off the truck is that the person who put it on the truck didn't tighten the knot. They were simply driving, they were in a hurry, they were so busy, and they were just driving, and they, you know, they left Chick-fil-A with a lemonade and chicken nuggets, and they're just driving down the road, and then out of nowhere, the ladder flies off because they didn't tighten than not. Truth be told, every marriage problem I've ever dealt with personally or as a counselor or pastor in 27 years, every single marriage problem has been because somebody didn't stop and tighten the knot according to the Scripture. I've never seen a marriage problem where it's like, oh, we couldn't have imagined that happening. No, no, it happened because they didn't tighten the knot. We're in a four-week series on marriage. We have a marriage weekend coming, and uh, the reason for this series is really to help you in your marriage tighten the knot. Here's the reality about people in those ladders. Here's what they always say. I thought it would be fine. I never thought it would fall off. I never thought there would be a problem. I thought we were totally okay. I thought things were going to be just fine, but they weren't fine because they didn't stop to check the knot or the security of the knot. And I want to be the first to say in a real gracious and kind way, today is an opportunity for you to tighten some knots that may have gotten loose. It's not an opportunity for me to make you feel bad. If you feel some conviction about it, that's a good thing. That's the grace of God. But it's not our desire today to make anybody feel bad in their marriage. It's our desire to help your marriage be as secure as God wants it to be. Our text this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 5 on the list. I have verse 25 listed, but I really would like you to look over at verse 21 where the Bible says in Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. We live in a culture that has emasculated men. Emasculated just means to take the masculinity away from mankind. The average modern-day TV show, movie, sitcom has men, husbands they have in particular, cast as lazy, overgrown teenagers who wouldn't be able to survive without the irritated, guiding hand of their wife. Let a man be assertive, even aggressive, make clear, godly decisions, love his family, and he's considered by many to be a chauvinistic relic of an outmoded era. A man who enjoys fishing, hunting, and red meat like every Christian should. That was a pause for effect. Especially the red meat part. I don't enjoy hunting. I love fishing and red meat, though no real red meat with fish, but you get the idea. Red meat and, and works to succeed in his job and has the intestinal fortitude to start a business, join the military, and works hard to advance in rank and, and to do well. Those concepts are often uh, castigated in our culture, but I will say with assurance, they ought to be appreciated and encouraged. This morning, I want to look at the husbands today. That's why I have men first in the title. I grew up in an era where it was always ladies first. I still believe in a little bit of chivalry. I'll wait. You can say amen or sit there silently, but I still believe in a little bit of chivalry. I believe that men ought to treat women with dignity and respect. I, this is how strange I am. I think ladies should go through the door first. If a lady say, well, don't you think I should go through, you could go through the door before me? I know I could go through the door before you, but I'm deferring to you. Well, what gives you the right to defer to me? I want to. I respect you. I value you. Matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I, I think that, that ladies first is a good thing. I think it's awesome. God even presents ladies first here, but I'm talking to the men today. So ladies, if you're going to skip a service, you should have skipped this one. 
You say, well, why didn't you send that out in an email? Because I wanted you here, and I just, it's better if you're here. But uh, this is a service, really, that I want to talk to, to the men of Canyon Ranch. I want to talk to the, to the single men. I want you to understand what God's expectation is for your life. I want to talk to married men. I want you to understand what God's expectation is for your marriage. And I want you to understand, biblically, how we are going to stand before the Lord insofar as the judgment that we will face. Second Corinthians chapter 5 Verse number 10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in our body, whether they be good and whether they be right. You say, Pastor, you can't honestly think that I'm going to be judged for the kind of husband I am. No, I don't think that. I know that. Well, how do you know that? I know that based on the authority of the Word of God, not by anything I wrote. I wish we wouldn't be judged by that. It's going to be a a fearful day when that happens. But not wanting it to happen and it not happening are two completely distinct and separate things. Man, if we're going to have the kind of marriages God expects us to have, look at verse number 25. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. You need to understand something this morning. Love is essential. Love is essential. The Bible says, love your wives. That word love means to esteem. It indicates a direction of the will and finding one's joy in something or someone. It differs, it's the Greek word agapo, and it differs from the Greek word phileo, which you will often see as love here uh, in the scripture. The, the word phileo means warm feelings, warm affection. It's, it's a kind of love as, as the, as the um, Greek uh, theologians call it, the kind of love that is expressed by a kiss or physical affection. That is not the kind of love that is being referred to here. This love is a, is a love that indicates the direction of the will, finding one's joy in someone. Men, here's God's expectation for you, that you would find your joy in your wife. Let me say that again. I did, I don't want, I, I'm not trying to be patronizing. I, I'm trying to drill this home. That you would find your joy in your wife. Not simply what she can do for you physically. Not for the sexual union that you have, which we'll talk about for sure. Not today, but we will. It's a joy that you find in your spouse. She brings me joy being around her. It's a, it's a biblical requirement This is in the imperative tense. It's a command. Love your wife. It's present tense. Active. Love your wife right now, today. Find pleasure and joy in your wife right now, today. Love your wife. Even as Christ loved the church. This word is used in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, where Paul says about himself, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me. Same word. The the love that you have for your wife is, is the same kind of love that is to be the same kind of love that Jesus has for you. And Since we all fall short of that, 
We all fall short of that. There's a constant work and desire to attain this level of love. It's not something that because we fall short, we beat ourselves up with. That's not God's desire at all. He's not trying to make us feel bad. He's setting the expectation. We might say it this way. He's establishing the standard of love. Well, why is he establishing the standard of love? Because if we're not careful, we start to miss the standard. We don't follow the standard. Um, If you've come to Canyon Ridge, uh, um, if you're a guest here, uh, I'll let you in on a secret. Um, It's not really, well, I can't let you in on a secret or it wouldn't be a secret. So I'm not letting you in on a secret, I'm just letting you know something. If you work on staff here, pastoral staff, or we have a daycare, but upper management type staff, that type stuff, we have to work out together. And we work out at a gym called CrossFit Fortius. It's a great gym. A dear friend of mine owns it. A lot of the coaches here today. And right now is the CrossFit Open. You don't have to like CrossFit or, or dislike it. I don't really care your opinion on it. I'm trying to share an illustration that'll make a lot of sense. During the CrossFit Open, we have a lot of exercises or movements that we have to do. And they have established standards. So if you're going to do an air squat, your air squat has to be below 90, and, and, and you, you have to do it. If you're going to do a pull-up, it has to be the chin over the bar, the arms, you know, extended all the way. It's not marine squats or marine pull-ups. You ever see Marines do pull-ups? They are terrible. And the only thing worse than a marine pull-up is a marine squat. They are the world's worst at squats. Those guys can barely go down a half an inch, and they're like, I did a squat. You didn't do a squat. Your squat isn't worth squat. And... Um, but, but in the standard, in the CrossFit Games, the standard is set. You, you have a standard and it's established. This is how we define a squat. You might think different, they might think different, but for the purpose of this competition, this is what it is. Well, here's the standard of love that Jesus has. You don't get to say this is the standard. I don't get to say this is the standard. This is the inspired word of God. And he says this, love your wives, have, have, have find joy in your wife, have affection towards your wife, find your direction being given to your wife. Well, to what degree do I love my wife? Just like Christ loves the church. Bro, that's a high standard. That's a standard, if we're truthful, that none of us are ever going to truly attain on a consistent basis, but one that we have to work towards on a consistent basis. By the way, if you're a Marine, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll teach you how to do squats later. We can work together on that. I'm thankful Marines have thick skin, right, Gunny? That's great. Love it. I'm just teasing you there. Love your wife. Because Christ loved the church. Your first priority is to love your wife. The word doesn't mean enjoy hanging out with her, though it, you should. The word doesn't mean enjoy her sexually, though you should. The word doesn't mean to have positive emotions when you're around her, though you should. It doesn't mean to give in to her whims and desires, and you shouldn't. But it means to view your relationship with your wife as a shepherd. 
As a matter of fact, that's what God calls you in other passages. You are to shepherd your family. You say, well, yeah, when I have kids. No, you become a family the second you say, I do. And you are to shepherd your family into Christ-likeness. You are to lead your family into Christ-likeness. That's what God has called you to do. And men, it is your responsibility to do that. Your godly leadership in the home is not born out of your masculinity. It is not born out of your strength. It is born out of your love for Christ. Love for your wife and a deep desire to see her draw closer to Christ. The argument is often made, well, Pastor, in Paul's day, it was much easier than our day. In our day, uh, you know, wives are more independent. They're kind of doing their own thing. By the way, no one's talking about robbing your wife of her independence, but they did their own thing. And in our day, I, I can't really lead. I can't do this. I can't do that. Folks, in Paul's day, it was very, very difficult. There was no expectation to love your wife in Paul's day. 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, the fact that Paul would say to men that you're supposed to love your wife was shocking to them. It was counterculture. It would be like if I stood up and started preaching message like this. Men hate your wives. Ladies would leave. Men would be like, what in the world are you talking about? And rightly so you should. It was just, that was the, the, the concept in the day of commanding with such force and emphasis that you're to love your wife like Christ loved the church was so counterculture to that day that the question has to be asked this way. Well, how do I love her that way? Well, I would tell you first, you need to learn the needs of your wife. You need to learn the needs of your wife. Well, we're married. I know her needs. Oh, no. I'm sorry to inform you of this. You married an ever-changing human being. That was my wife who said that. <laughs> well, what are the needs? Well, the Bible says in verse 26 that you might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. The word sanctify means to make holy, to clean. The word cleansed means to, to wash, to free from filth. It, in a spiritual sense, it means to, to free from the pollution of sin. Christ loved the church. He died for the church. His desire is towards the church. And men, God has commanded you to love your wives, to, to, to care for your wives, to care for the needs of your wife, to sanctify and cleanse, to lead them spiritually. When you love for your wife, you're going to, like Christ loved the church, you're going to seek her best. Not just what she wants. Sometimes what my wife wants is not what is best. That's just not the case. I mean, babe, we can't do that because that's just not the best thing. I'd like to be able to do that for you, but that might not be what you mean. My, my wife has the world's biggest heart. She has the world, I mean, just a bigger, she'd give everything away. Just the other day, she's trying to give our adult children away. Oh, you, you need a full-time life nanny? Uh, let me call Judith. Maybe she can take care of that. I mean, my wife, is, she has the gift of giving, even, even, even my stuff. 
The motive for this love is, is to, well, why do I love my wife this way? What motivates me is to sanctify and cleanse, is, is purity, is a purity that she would have, is a purity that she'll walk with God, that you will protect her from the world's contamination. You will protect her holiness. You'll protect her virtue. You'll protect her purity. There's things that you won't allow in your home. There's people that you won't allow in your home. There's friendships you won't allow her to have. Why? Because they would defile her. Well, Pastor, that person might get offended. I'd rather them get offended than my wife be defiled. Did you hear what I said? I'd rather them be offended than my wife be defiled. And I'm a, by nature a people pleaser. I like to make people happy. I'm like some of you. If it makes you happy, I'll do it. And God has not called me to make people happy. He's called me to make Him happy. I'm called to be uh, holy and set apart before the Lord, and I'm called to help my wife in that way. And I'm called, verse 27 of our text, to, to present her uh, gloriously before the Lord, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Well, that's the motivation, but what's the method? The method Verse Peter 3, verse number 7, I think that's on your screen. The Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The word knowledge is the Greek word gnosis, and it simply means this, practical knowledge or discretion. Let me say it this way. You're to know what your wife likes and dislikes. You're to know your wife's likes and dislikes. And it's foolish to intentionally irritate her. Some guys think like, oh man, she hates it when I do this. That's what I'm going to do. Don't do that. Dwell with them according to knowledge. And let me tell you guys, would you listen just, just real quick? Just real quick. Just, just, okay, it won't be real quick. But listen nonetheless. Just because she laughs doesn't mean she likes it. Every woman in here should have said amen right there. I'm going to give you another chance. Just because she laughs doesn't mean she likes it. Four ladies said amen, and the rest are like, I can't believe he's on to us. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Learn what she likes and dislikes. Learn what her desires are. Learn what pleases her. Learn what brings her joy. As long as it doesn't defile or diminish or put you in debt or keep you from Christ, then do the best you can to do that. You might ask her some questions. Guys, I'm going to give you a minute to write these down because I know you brought pen and paper because you're godly men and you come to church and you're ready to listen and hear and grow and take home what you've learned. You're not just like, oh, I'm just going to listen and maybe something will stick. I know you better than that. And, and that's what we call patronizing and passive aggressive. <laughs> but you, you might ask her questions like this. What are some things that I do that really irritate you? <laughs> What are some things that you do that really irritate you? I, I, I asked Debbie that last night. 
What are some things that I, I got like nine questions. We got to one. Her list was long. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't long. It was very short. She only mentioned one thing, and I cut her off, and I had to go somewhere. (laughs) What are some things that I do that really irritate you? You say, how do I respond? Graciously and kindly with an intent to grow and change. You know, honey, when, when you drink out of the milk carton to the point of gagging, and you spit up all over the kitchen floor and then leave it there? I I find that irritating. Oh, my mom doesn't. And ladies, your response to that should be, boy, you didn't marry your mother. Now, most of you will be like, I would never say that. That might be a problem. Number two, you should ask this question. What are some things that I do that make you feel loved? When I do X, you feel loved how? Or, or what are some things that I do that you're just like, oh, that turns me on? I, I don't mean just physically, though that could be included in that. But what are some things that I do that you just feel loved? What are some words that I use that make you feel unappreciated or disrespected? Are there words that I use? Oh, is there a tone that I use that makes you feel disrespected or unloved? Here's the next question. Do you feel like I listen to you? Men are really good at their wives talking. We are masters at this. Your wife can talk for an hour, and and you haven't heard a single word she said. That happens to me occasionally. The, The other day, Debbie and I were on our way to the gym, and we normally don't ride to the gym together because of situations like this. But we're going in the morning, and I'm not a morning person. I I mean, I I can get up early in the morning, but I'm very contemplative in the morning. I want to think deeply in the morning. I want to to be, well, truthfully, I kind of want to be left alone in the morning. And we're getting ready to leave for the gym. It was our day off. And she said, said, hey, do you want to ride together? And I couldn't think of a reason why we shouldn't ride together to the gym. But believe you me, I was trying to figure one out. And so I said, sure, let's let's go. (laughs) That'll be fun. And... um, and so she was excited because she loves to go places together. And I was excited because we were going to the gym. But we're driving down Balboa. And at some point, she started talking. And she's talking and talking and talking. And I, let me tell you, I, my mind was all over the world, but it wasn't in the front seat of my car. And we're driving and driving and driving. We go to get on the freeway, 5 South. And she's like, um, are you listening to me? And I literally just thought to myself, I have not heard a single thing you've said. You said, did you say that? No, I'm letting her know that right now in the safety of people. (laughs) A lot of witnesses in here. She can't kill me now, and she'll forget by the time we get home, I pray. So don't text her a reminder, by the way, either. Some of you mean people. And and I said, you know, it's like, no, I'm not. And, and we almost started to get into an argument, and she was so gracious, she goes, oh, I forgot, it's the morning. Oh, that kind of convicted me that the morning is more important than my wife. Am I not man enough to overcome that? Do I not have enough grace of God to overcome that? I think God's given me enough grace to overcome that. You might ask this question. What are some things that I do that encourages you? 
What are some things that I do that add a burden to your life? What are some things that I do that lift the burdens? And and by the way, guys, these aren't going to be short conversations. Or they might be, but they'll be tense. Now, on the good points, stay on there as long as you can. But there might be a little bit of tension. And by the way, would you listen to me? I'm just going to help you as a marriage counselor for a few minutes. It's okay for there to be tension in your marriage as long as it's productive tension that doesn't stay there. Matter of fact, I tell young couples all the time, it's okay to fight. Some stupid preacher somewhere said at some point, and everybody listens to it, like, people should never fight. Marriage should be just one blissful activity after another. That's the dumbest thing ever and only sets you up for failure. You are going to disagree and argue in your marriage. And if you say, well, I I don't ever want to argue in my marriage, let me encourage you. Marry a cat. Why? Because they won't come around you unless they want, and you probably don't want them around you anyway because they're the worst animal God created is the cats. Worst animal. We got cat lovers in this church, and we pray for that demon to be exercised. Uh, stupid animals. Good grief. I wish there was dogs to attack. No, I'm kidding. Don't put that online. There's going to be some tension, there's going to be some difficulty. There's going to be some arguing that goes on. You're learning one another. You, you, now listen, the, the argument, if we want to use the word fight, doesn't mean you're yelling and screaming and throwing things and in any way, shape, or form. Uh, should there be any, any idea of anything remotely close to violence, that, that is a sin of the worst kind. But there can be dialogue and there can be disagreement. And sometimes it can even get a little bit louder than normal. Though, listen to me, that ought not be the norm. That ought to be a very, very, very rare exception. But you don't have to have this, this, this Pollyanna kind of perfect idea of living and life. Sometimes you are going to have some tension. And if you're going to ask the questions that I just listed, it's not going to be the easiest of things to hear. And ladies, be of good cheer. In a couple of weeks, I'll have him to ask you some questions or you to ask him some questions. We're trying to learn one another, and we're trying to have Christ-honoring marriages. And men, it starts with you today loving your wife like Christ loved the church, and you do that by learning things about her. And every person's different. My, My wife enjoys my humor. I can't figure it out other than I'm amazing. That's not even close to true. I'm like, I can't believe you laughed at that. And we've been married 27 years. You don't have to laugh anymore. And she's like, no, that was really funny. And I'm like, that's why I love you. Well, one of the many reasons. You got to learn about your wife. You got to be willing to sacrifice for your wife. Verse 25, he gave himself for it. He gave himself. There has to be a measure of self-sacrifice. I know men say I would die for my wife, but can I be honest with you? I've met a lot of men who said they would die for somebody, and, and they don't even know the person. Being willing to lay down your life for somebody is not the pinnacle of love. It's not. I know somebody's going to quote John 15, verse number 13, greater love has no man than this, than a man lays down his life for his friends. Uh, this is where I would disagree a little bit, uh, not with the scripture, but with the concept that dying for someone is the greatest love. 
we have people who put themselves in harm's way all the time. Many men in this church and women in this church have, have served in the military and out of duty you would put your life in harm's way or people as a devotion to a cause will lay down their life for something or a general desire to help mankind. We've even seen in recent days, have we not, that um, free, healthy Americans who are not in the military have put themselves in harm's way to help people in Afghanistan and, and today in Ukraine. There are people there that, that don't have to be there, but out of a devotion to a cause, they're, they're willing to put their life on the line for them. The, the biblical idea of Christ laying down his life for the church is this. And it's the John 15, 13 idea. And that is knowing everything about you. I know you're good and you're bad, and I'm still willing to die for you. I know your imperfections, and I know you're, you're really strong. And, and that's the idea of self-sacrifice. Not that I love a cause, not that I love this, but I love you, and I love you personally, and I'm willing to sacrifice whatever my needs are for you. And then we see in verse number 27, not only is love essential, but love is beneficial, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Love is beneficial for your wife. You love your wife, it's beneficial for her. Why? Because the Bible says, he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle. The word spot here means a stain or a defect or an impurity, a wrinkle. You wouldn't stand before Christ. The word just means not having the wrinkle of age. Here's the idea that Paul is helping us to understand here. It, your marriage is, is to always be fresh, always be new. Always be vibrant and exciting. If you're not careful, you can get to the point in your marriage where you're just kind of living together. Oh, you're married. There's no sin involved. You're just simply living together. You're kind of two roommates that sleep in the same bed, and some people don't even sleep in the same bed. You're just two strangers. You're passing, and there's no freshness. There's no intimacy. That would be a wrinkle. That's not what God's desire is for your marriage. Your marriage is to never get old and stale. That's why, I mean, in our house, the most offensive words are things like, oh, that's the old man, or that's the old lady, or my old woman. Oh, don't say that near me. You'll have 165 pounds of anger all over you. You say 165 pounds, yeah, the other 120 pounds won't be angry, just 165 of them. The Bible says in Proverbs 5, verse number 18, let thy fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Now, just to let you in on a little secret here, the idea of that verse, thy fountains, not the idea, the meaning of that verse is one of sexual joy that is supposed to happen within the marriage covenant regardless of age. Not like, oh, well, we've had our kids. We, we, there should be no joy. No, no, no. The joy of the sexual union is not for procreation. It's not even for recreation. It's for oneness and connection. But we'll talk about this in the future. But the overall health benefits literally help people look younger and reduce wrinkles. The wrinkle of the word here is the word. Not having spot or wrinkle. 
You should find joy in your, in your wife. And the older that you get and the longer that you have been married, you ought to love one another more emotionally. You ought to be deeper connected with one another spiritually. And you ought to be more passionate for your spouse sexually. That's the idea. Oh, Pastor, you're making more of that than it is. Oh, no. Wait for a couple of weeks when we get into the Song of Solomon. You'll see what Proverbs and Solomon and Ephesians and other passages have to say about the union within marriage. It's not a dirty thing. It's a delightful thing as long as it's kept within the boundaries of God's eternal word. Anything outside of that is certainly defilement, but within that is a gift that God has given us in a wonderful way. And it benefits your wife, and it benefits you. Verse number 28. So what men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. You love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. You are benefiting yourself. There is a oneness that is there. There's a care for her needs that is being, that is being manifested here. You're loving her like Christ loves the church. And literally, you are benefiting yourself. People say, if I love my wife, that would be so hard for me. No, no, don't be foolish. When you love like Christ loves the church, you are the greatest benefactor. Oh, she's greatly benefited. Make no mistake about that. Not, not dismissing that for a second. Make no mistake about that. But understand as well that you are the greatest benefactor. It's, it's like this. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks to ladies. But here's the concept. When you do, men, what God has called you to do, and you put full effort in to what God has called you to do, and you're, you're, you're doing the work that God has called you to do to show her love and learn about her and learn about her needs and learn about her desires, and, and, and you're fulfilling those needs, wants, and desires as long as they're not counterproductive to the Word of God and in opposition to the Scripture. When you're doing that, here's what God does. He blesses you in the greatest way possible. If she needs strength, provide strength. If she needs encouragement, provide encouragement. If she needs help, provide help. Debbie and I have been married 27 years and two months. Yesterday. 27 years and two months. Not long at all compared to some folks, and a lot longer than other folks. And this is what I'll tell you. I'm way closer to her today than I was 27 years ago. In every way. I like her more today than I did 27 years ago. I love her more today than I did 27 years ago. I'm more confused by her today. No, I'm just kidding. I know her better today than I did 27 years ago. And yes, our spiritual life is better today than it was 27 years ago. And our sex life is way better today than it was 27 years ago. We say, you're over 40. We thought you had to sign a contract to never touch each other again. No, no, it's way better than it was 27 years ago. Why? We're just following the Scripture. Why? Verse 29, no man hated his own flesh but nourisheth it and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. I mean, if you will understand that following God's pattern of leadership and love, 
that you are the primary benefit, beneficiary of that. You benefit much more than your wife does. If you lead and you love, you are the greatest benefit, benefactor. That's why the, we understand, yes, love is, a, is essential, but love is also beneficial. And you're the one benefited. And so sometimes you do have hard conversations, but you do it out of a heart of love. And sometimes you, you, you do have to face some difficulties in life, but you do it out of a heart of love. And you lead from a perspective of love and devotion and encouragement and, and help and strength, trying to help her be more like Christ, and she's helping you be more like Christ. And the overall benefit is truly a marriage that brings honor and glory to the Lord because your marriage, if you're a believer, is a, a picture of the church. The gospel is benefited when you love your wife like Christ commanded you to love her. Verse 29, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church is benefited. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. You're a picture of Christ in the church. That's your life. That's your joy. That's what your marriage is is. If you're here today and you know Christ is your Savior and you're married, your marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. If you're here today and you, you're not saved, you say, what does saved mean? It means that you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You understand that you're a sinner and you understand that only Jesus Christ can save you. And you turn from your sin. We use a big word, it's called repentance. But it means to turn from your sin and you trust only Jesus Christ to save you. If you'll turn from your sin and trust only Jesus Christ to save you, he promises, he guarantees you that he will save you. He will give you eternal life. If you die without Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. If you die with Christ, you'll spend eternity in heaven. And if you're here today as a husband or a wife or single, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, please today, trust Christ as your Savior. If you are here today and don't know Jesus, repent of your sin and turn to Him. If you do know Christ as your Savior, the question has to be asked, Do you love your wife like Christ loves the church? Are you showing that kind of love? Hey, let, let me ask you this question. Does she know it? Does she know it? Would she say that? If she felt enough freedom to be totally honest? Well, Pastor, she's got things to work on. Yeah, we'll worry about that lady, but today it's men first. Would she know that you love her like Christ loves the church? Would she say, oh, Chris, I know you're trying. I know you're trying. Or would she go, what do you want for dinner? Because if she doesn't know that you love her like Christ loves the church, then there's something really missing No, but I love her like Christ loves the church. 
Well, the object love should be the one who describes the level of love. I want my wife to know not simply that I want to love her like Christ loves the church, but that I'm working to love her like Christ loves the church. And that I'm willing to ask those tough questions. And you want your wife to know you're willing to ask those tough questions. Well, honey, it irritates me when you get in bed and you haven't showered for nine days. Oh, how do I correct that? Shower every day. Hey, here's a little secret. My wife has veto power over my wardrobe. You say, what does that mean? If I wear something she doesn't like, I'll not wear it. I'll not wear it. I'll stop wearing it. Now, luckily, she has no style, so it doesn't matter. But that's why I gave it to her. No, I'm totally kidding. Uh, but she, she really does. We'll go to the store, and, and, and she'll be like, oh, I like that. Oh, I don't like that at all. Now, she wasn't like that because she was a people pleaser her whole life, and she always told people how nice everything looked. And so she was a bad friend. You'd walk down the street with, like, leopard print and lime green tights on. She said, oh, that just looks gorgeous. <laughs> it doesn't look like, anyway, it looked like Bernie in high school. And um, <laughs> if you're a guest, Bernie's our song guy. And uh, um, I'm just teasing, but... But, but I, I, I don't want to irritate her. I want her to feel loved in every way. And I know you do too. In truth, I would submit that's probably why you came today. You want to be a better husband. You want to be a better single guy so that one day when you're married, you're a better husband. I, I don't, I, 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 it's just in my heart. I'm not going to, you'd have to tell me, like, I came today to hear everything I'm supposed to do, and I want to do the opposite for the rest of my life. I want to tick Jesus off till I die. That's my joy. Now, I don't think you came for that. I think you really have a desire to do better. But a desire to do better demands more than a desire. It means follow through and follow up. And maybe some accountability. I got some friends that hold me accountable to be the right kind of husband. Debbie's got some friends that hold her accountable to be the right kind of wife. And, and life is great when people you love hold you accountable. People that know marriage, I, I, I don't want the single guys telling me how to be a good husband. I want people that have been married decades to tell me how to be the right kind of husband. Today, men first. Tighten the knot. No doubt. And I'm telling you this from the guy who studied it and has been preparing all week. There are some knots in my marriage that I have to tighten. You say, what's bad? Nothing's bad. I don't even think the ladder would fly off yet. But I'm going to tighten the knot before I start worrying about that. I just got, a, I got some knots that need to be tightened just like you do. Well, Pastor, what are they? I don't know. But today, uh, maybe God has spoken to you. No doubt, I think God has spoken to you. And there needs to be some time of prayer. In just a moment, we'll have a time of reflection. And as we reflect on the message, there'll be an opportunity for you to come to the altar. And I'm going to recommend that husbands and wives come together and just pray for your marriage. Pray for God's protection on your marriage. You can do it here at the altar, which I recommend, or in your chair, whatever the case may be. And, and men, it's time for you to lead in prayer. Well, that's kind of a private thing. I get it. I get it. I understand that too. But it's time that we come out of our our shell of spiritual silence, and we begin to lead our wives spiritually, not simply in the words that we say like a preacher, but in the prayers that we say like a needy child to our loving Heavenly Father. 
Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.